Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Because of the times that we're living in, oftentimes as a pastor, I want to bring a biblical response or biblical worldview, a biblical mentality to the events that are happening around us. And this is something uh, Pastor Suspansky preached about a little bit yesterday, so you men that were there, uh, you might hear some echoes of that. But even beyond the surface, there's something more important that every believer needs to have, something that we can learn from the example of this person in our scripture, the first martyr in the Christian church, whose name is Stephen. So let me begin by reminding you that we always rejoice in the fact that we can stand together. The church is a great resource. Can you say amen? That we together as a body of Christ can do far more for the kingdom of God than those of us who are, than we ever could on our own. What I mean by that is when we stand together, there is great strength in numbers. We are a collective. We are a community. We are a cause bound together for a common purpose. Like it says in Acts chapter 4 of the early church, that they were together. They were of one heart. They were of one purpose. There is great power in finding identity in community. That is a wonderful and a blessed thing. We are a body which moves together in the same direction. We are a movement We are not a monument, but we are part of a great kingdom, a holy nation, a holy people that has spanned for generations, for thousands of years, the church of Jesus Christ gathers together to do a work for God. That's a wonderful and a blessed thing and something that we really, really need, especially in our hour, in a time where we've become distanced from each other. In a time where social media has distanced us, where you can have a thousand friends on Facebook but still feel lonely. That's why the church is such a needed institution in our world today. We find comfort in that. We find dignity in that as we find ourselves caught up into more than just our individual lives, but we have a family. We have a community. Not only that, but we have been adopted together into the family of God, that we understand God is our Father. We are adopted into His family, and we find ourselves in this amazing community of faith. What a glorious thing that is. Now, I'm not here this morning to diminish that in any way. But I do want to add something to your thinking this morning. Something that every one of us are going to have to face in our lives. 
there comes a time for each and every believer when you are going to have to stand alone. Yes, we come together in the church service and we get victory. We sing songs. We hear messages preached. We read the scriptures together and we find strength in numbers. But how many know the church service only lasts an hour or two? You're going to go home. You're going to go tomorrow morning. Many of you, you're going to go to a job or you're going to go to a place that is not familiar territory. You're going into the enemy's camp. And there's going to be times when all of us as believers, we're going to have to take what we've received here in the church service and we're going to have to go stand alone, to stand for what's right. When you're at work and they're telling dirty jokes and you're the only one who's going to stand up and say, I'm not going to participate in that nonsense. When you, when you go to a, 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 uh, into an atmosphere, maybe at school, maybe, maybe it's even your family environment, you go home to a, a, a house that's full of unbelievers, and you're going to have to make a stand. What about when you're the only one in your circle of friends who believes that the Bible is God's living word, and that it's still worthy of our study? Will your faith remain? What about when you're surrounded by those who blaspheme the name of Jesus by using his name as a cuss word? And they would take any other uh, filthy word and put in the name of Jesus. I tell you, nothing gets on my nerves more than that. But it can be, it can be so difficult when everyone around you is participating in wickedness and you are called to stand alone. That is what we're going to learn this morning from the example of a man who had the occasion to stand by himself for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's read the account in Acts chapter 7 and learn from it this morning how we can stand alone when necessary. Verse 51. This is uh, picking it up in the middle of the sermon that Stephen is preaching to the crowd there that day. And as you can tell by the first line, it's not going too well. <laughs> he says in verse 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Verse 54, after this marvelous sermon that Stephen has preached, how did the crowd respond to him that day? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Tough audience. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They really didn't like that. Verse 57 says that the crowd, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. That means they killed him. And the witnesses 
laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, listen to his final words on earth, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which means that he died that day. This is what it takes to stand alone. This is a message I've titled, Willing to Stand Alone. And let's pray as we ask God to help us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of the living God able to equip and empower us this morning. Lord, we are grateful for the power that we find together in the house of God. We're grateful for the community that we have here together. Lord, I'm praying that you would strengthen every member of this body, every part of this gathering this day, God, that you would help us to understand it's not enough to have strength in numbers. We've got to have strength in you because we are going out to enemy territory as we exit these doors. And I'm praying, God, that you would equip and strengthen every heart this morning to be able to help us to stand alone in the hour of wickedness. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. So in our scripture, we have an instruction manual of how to stand alone. How to stand up, and I, I, I want to just say, first of all, a, re, a reminder, something that should be obviously true to everyone, but needs to be said out loud. This world is jacked up, and it is getting more jacked up as time goes by. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are not in a Christian nation anymore. We may at one time have been founded on Christian principles and beliefs. You read our founding documents that the belief in the creator is there, that the trust in Jesus Christ was there, that a large majority of people in the past and in the history, times gone by, that there was a Christian morality that even if someone was not a a believer, at least that they had Christian underpinnings and foundation, that is no longer true. I'm sad to report to you. That is no longer true. As I've said uh, in, in several messages before today, that, uh, that you and I as believers, we are now the counterculture in our nation. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised by this because this is exactly how most Christians over the last 2,000 years have lived. As a counterculture, a subculture within the culture that we are living This should not be a surprise to us, and yet to many Christians it is. That all of a sudden we find ourselves having to stand alone when we didn't have to in times past. We live in a world that is upside down when it comes to morals, ethics, righteousness. All you have to do is turn on a television or or look at Facebook for five minutes, and you know what you're going to see? You're going to see a good being called evil and evil being called good. You're going to see the promotion of homosexuality and transgender movement. You're going to see coming from the government and promoted even by our military, paid for by your tax dollars, the ability to take our tax money that we pay to pay for abortions and to pay for sex change operations. This is the world we're living in. We're going to see worse than that. There is sexual immorality on every hand. That marriage has gone down the tubes. Does that mean that people stopped uh, having intimacy and sleeping? Nope. What I'm saying this morning is that the world is getting worse by the minute. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Guess what? Sinners sin. And we shouldn't, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, before you got saved, you probably sinned a few times too. Thank God that Jesus Christ saved us, rescued us from this world that is on its way to a devil's hell. And so here is Stephen. Let's think of his situation for just a moment. Stephen was one of the followers of Jesus. And on this day of Pentecost, he was there filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this chapter, it's, it, he begins to testify and speak to the audience. He is speaking this day to a largely Jewish crowd. These are his countrymen, his fellow believers. He, he identified with them. He could look at them and have compassion. And this is why he preached such a harsh message to them. Because he cared about them. Ever heard of tough love? Sometimes we need to hear some tough love. And Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to speak a word to his fellow Jewish uh, countrymen, his fellow Jewish believers. These were men that shared the passion for the scriptures, the love of the prophet Moses. These are, these are fellow men that, that he had grown up with, that he had studied Torah with, that he knew, and many of them, he could identify with them. And that's why he's giving them this message of tough love. Sometimes, how many understand, we come to church and we need to hear that kind of tough love, don't we? And because of his heart of compassion toward his countrymen, he is preaching to them a message. Now, I told you before that it wasn't going very well. But in reality, it was going exactly as God planned. Because, as we're going to see in a moment, his message was exactly what he needed to say. What God wanted to say through him. What I'm saying is that this is the message that God wanted to deliver to the audience that day. And it was going to there was going to have to be a price paid to deliver that message. And so here's uh here's Stephen who begins to preach a message that they don't want to hear but that God wants to speak. This is a very difficult position to be in. How many can identify that there are people around you, they don't want to hear what God wants to say to them. What's interesting to me is that God relied upon Stephen to deliver his message. That God chose to use Stephen as his righteous vessel. God could have delivered this message by writing a, a, a message in the clouds. He could have sent an angel to deliver that message. He could have just spoke the way that he did at the time when Jesus was baptized and they heard the voice of God speaking about Jesus, right? They, they could have heard an audible voice that day. But isn't it interesting that when God wanted to speak to that crowd, the way he chose to speak was through a man, through Stephen. Now, let me tell you this morning <laughs> that God still wants to speak today. That there are people that you live next to, people that you care about, people that you love, people who live next door to you, people who you work with, people in your family, people you're married to, people you're related to. There's a whole lot of people in this world, God has a message for them. How are they going to hear that message? If you had a mirror, you need to hold it up and look. Because you are the answer to God's prayers. 
you are the answer this morning to how is this message going to be delivered. We know that this is true. We know that Jesus, when he left the earth, he gave his commandment not to the angels, but to the believers in the church. He said, you, you go and preach this gospel to the ends of the earth. You, you, my church, the ones that I've saved and rescued and redeemed, I'm sending you to be my instruments of deliverance. I'm sending you to go and make disciples of all the nations. It is the church's job. You say, what is the church for this morning? Is it just so we have a comfy place to hear a nice message on Sunday morning? If that's the end of what our church is doing, then we have utterly failed. If all we've done is paid the rent and kept the lights on and put carpet down and had nice soft chairs to sit on so that you can hear a message and we go out back to our lives and not think about Jesus again, that is an utter failure. And we are disappointing God if that is true. Because there is only one group of people on this planet that is charged with delivering the mail of God. And that's you. That's me. That is us together as a corporate body, but it is also an individual mandate. I want you to feel the weight of that this morning. That the gospel, the the great commission that Jesus gave us, yes, of course, applies to the corporate church at large. That yes, the mandate to go and make disciples and to plant churches and to win souls, that yes, the church needs to be active all together. But there's also an individual calling, isn't there? Say, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. Pastor, I'm not a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Pastor, you know, I don't I, I, I don't have a lot of understanding. I don't speak well. You start to sound like Moses. I can't speak well, God. And God rebukes him. Says, who made man's mouth? Um, uh, I, I guess you did. Yeah, don't you think I could use your mouth, the one that I made? I wouldn't have asked you unless you can do it. And so there comes a time when, like Stephen, We are in the midst of an unfriendly crowd, one that doesn't want to hear the message. Have you ever been in that situation? One that would rather you keep quiet. And more and more in our post-Christian world, the message from the government, the message from the world, the message from the schools, the message from your job to us Christians is be quiet. You believe whatever you want to believe, but be quiet. Have you felt that? You can, you can talk about sports. You can talk about, uh, you know, there's coworkers of yours who talk about their weekend escapades. You can talk about what the news, what's happening. But as long as you don't bring up the name of Jesus, as long as you don't produce that Bible, this is the problem with the world we're living in. And so it is going to, let me make a prediction. You are going to face times when you, like Stephen, are going to have to stand alone. And like Stephen, you're going to have to be willing to pay a price. So let's see how to stand alone. Number one, the Bible says about Stephen, from the moment that we meet him, the very first description that we have of him is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say that out loud. Filled 
with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to stand alone, you're going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God. The reason why that is, you can't do it alone. You cannot. This is not within your ability. This is why we as a Pentecostal church, we believe in the indwelling, infilling power of the Holy Spirit, just like the day of Pentecost. That that power is not just something for church on Sunday morning, but the power of the Holy Spirit can be with us and in us and move through us on a daily basis. Acts 6 verse 3, the first time we meet Stephen in the Bible, as they're picking um, servants to serve food in the daily distribution of bread that they had there. Acts 6 verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. And the saying pleased the multitude, verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So how do we how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a good question, Pastor. Let me give you the seven steps to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not seven steps. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all it takes is a willing heart and a surrendered life. So, so often we complicate this to more than it really should be. Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this sermon podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks, and we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine, the list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening and back to the rest of the sermon. Christians that was found by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, that they, they had not received the Holy Spirit through the evidence of speaking in tongues. Paul asks them in Acts 19 verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That's many Christians today. Oh, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Now, we understand, yes, that that without the power of the Holy Spirit, that no man can be saved. We understand that. That the Holy Spirit, even without our knowledge, is active in the process of salvation. 
that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us into uh, into conviction, draws us to the will of God, draws us to repentance, all of those things. But for many people, the Holy Spirit is a foreign entity, one that is not active in our lives. And so Paul questions these believers. Oh, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He says, then what were you baptized in? They said, into John's baptism. That's the baptism of repentance. He says in verse 4, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying the people should believe on him who would come after. That is on Christ Jesus. They were not aware that when Jesus went back to heaven, that he sent the Holy Spirit to the church on the day of Pentecost. They didn't get the news. And so verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, listen, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. That is the Pentecostal experience. That is what I found as a believer being 19 years old. I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. I knew the Bible said something about it, but I didn't know that he wanted to live in me and empower my life. If you're going to stand alone, believers, you're going to need more than just the baptism of repentance. You're going to need the power of Pentecost. This is what God gave to his church in Acts chapter 2. The power to overcome our doubts, our fears, our sins. The power to speak boldly. This is what can change a timid person who was cowering in fear. Like Peter, remember the story? Peter who denied the Lord three times as he goes to the cross, as he weeps bitterly, as he's ashamed in his heart, Jesus restores him. But on that day, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fills him. And what does he do? He stands up with the 11 and he preaches. How does that happen? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm telling you, that's exciting. Every young person in this place, this is more than just a religious rattling. This is more than just getting excited in a church service. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you are empowered and equipped to stand alone if necessary. Stand alone. I, uh, I, I had a picture that I sent. I don't know if you want to put that up there, Miss Amanda. That's going to help me illustrate what it means to stand alone. This is a, a famous incident that took place in 1989 in China. This is at a location called Tiananmen Square. There was a rally happening with uh, some college students who were, who were um, resisting against the communist government in China. And so the communist government didn't really like that that was happening that day. So they sent in the, the Chinese military to go break up the party. And uh, so the military's rolling down the street with a bunch of tanks and weapons and guns. And there happened to be an English uh, reporter, journalist, staying, staying in a hotel. He was taking pictures, and he happened to catch what happened that day as the tanks were rolling down the street. And this one student, carrying a couple of shopping bags, he decided he's going to stand. He decided he's going to do what's right even though it's going to be difficult. The journalist who was recording this that day, he watched for a few moments, and what would happen is he would go and stand in front of the tank like that, and the tank would try to turn itself. He would, he would move and stay in front of the tank. There's nobody there helping this young man. 
He's got shopping bags like he just got done from the store. They said that he's dressed as if he just got off of work. That he found himself in a situation where he had to stand completely on his own. Nobody knows his name. He is known to this day as Tank Man. As they watched what happened that day, eventually this young man, as he was stopping these tanks, he eventually climbed up on top of the first one there, spoke to the drivers that were inside, and then they put him in handcuffs, hauled him away, and no one has ever seen or heard from him since. That's what it means to stand alone. Sometimes that is a picture of what you're going to face. All the forces of hell, the world, and flesh arrayed against you. How do you do that? How do you have the courage to stand when no one else is standing? How do you have the strength to do what's right when everyone else is doing wrong? Well, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you must be filled with wisdom. This is also what it says about Stephen, Acts 6, 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom is critical. If you don't have wisdom, you can make foolish decisions and stand for things that don't matter. And then you just turn into a jerk that nobody likes. So you also, beyond just having the Holy Spirit, you also have to have wisdom. Sometimes there are things that we think are important that we really, that's not a hill we need to die on. There are arguments that don't need to be had. How many understand that? That's where it requires wisdom. Remember that Stephen was a layman. He was not a professional preacher. He was not a, uh, he was not a professor of righteousness. He was not a scholar or a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He was untrained in spiritual things. He, all he was was a man who was there on the day of Pentecost. He got filled with the power of God through the Spirit. Never been to a, a Bible school other than maybe his early training as a young boy, as every Jewish boy would go through. But all he was was a man that said, God, I'm here. I want you to use me. And God says, okay, Stephen, I can use you. What was his experience in verse 3 tells us that he was of good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he had wisdom. Listen, living a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself with supernatural wisdom for the kingdom. This is not to make you look good. This is wisdom to make right decisions for the kingdom. This is exactly what Jesus promised us. That if we are open to the will of God, if we will surrender our lives to the spirit of God, that he will give us supernatural ability to make decisions beyond ourselves. Listen to the prediction that Jesus made in Luke chapter 21, verse 12. He said, before all these things, they being the world, they will land, lay your hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. You never find that scripture on a bumper sticker, right? They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to synagogues and prisons. You will, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. You're not going to hear that one on K-Love. That's not a scripture of the day. But, verse 13, listen to what Jesus promised, in the midst of this difficulty, he says, I, it will turn out for you as an occasion 
for testimony. In other words, yes, it's going to be a bad situation for you sometimes, but guess what? You can use it to testify. And so he says, verse 14, again, Luke chapter 21, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. You mean don't study what I should say? Don't memorize in my head an automatic response? No. Jesus says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. What do you call that? Supernatural wisdom. That is wisdom beyond what you have. I don't know about you. There have been times in my life when I'm in a situation when I know that I don't have all the answers. But God begins to speak things that I didn't even understand. I've, been, I, I've knocked on doors before as we go out to outreach. I knock on a door, begin to deal with someone about, about my testimony and about the gospel. And, and, and all of a sudden, God will drop something through his spirit, and he'll tell me to tell this person, uh, s- there's, there's somebody in your family that needs healing, isn't there? And they'll, they'll go, what? And they'll turn around, and there's this person lying on the couch who's got an injury. Let's pray for them. Let's believe God. I've had God speak through supernatural w- means. Listen, wisdom is necessary for the believer if you're going to stand alone. But guess what? That wisdom is irritating to the foolish. When the crowd heard the wisdom of Stephen, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The world doesn't want to hear, do they? What we have to say, what God has to say. This is not about us standing on a hill and dying on it. This is about the message of Jesus. See, one thing that I that that I am frustrated by in our world today is that how often the church is influenced by the world. See, Jesus told us that we should be in the world, but not of the world. The same way that a ship sailing across the ocean, it's okay for the ship to be, the, to be in the ocean, but you're in big trouble when the ocean gets in the ship, right? That just like that, the church is called to be in the world, but not a part of the world, But in so many places, the church adopts the ways of the world. The church adopts the language of the world. We adopt the tactics and the strategies of the world, thinking that if we can be more like the world, then we can attract more people, be more relevant, fill more chairs. But guess what? (laughs) The world has the world. We're not going to outworld the world. We're not going to out-impress people with our, uh, with our extravagant you know, uh, uh, events that we put on. I, I respect churches that put on big events, and that's great. But listen, we are not called to be like the world. What we should be, though, instead of being influenced by the world, the church needs to be an influence on the world around it. Jesus said... You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Nice row, nice toss. Both light and salt, think with me, light and salt can irritate. When you wake up in the morning and there's a beam of light shining in from your window right on your face, do you enjoy that? (laughs) No, because you are sleeping. Guess what? Most of the world 
is asleep in their sins. And the beam of light that comes out of your mouth when you speak truth into an arena of lies, that's like, ah! Salt. One one, uh, trait of salt is that in the old world, it it was used to uh, purify and to heal wounds. But guess what? When you put salt on a wound, ow, irritating. It hurts. It burns. But guess what? If you leave salt on the wound, you let it burn, you let the process, and it begins to bring healing. This is what the church is supposed to be. This is what you are supposed to be. This is why God saved you out of the mess of your crazy family. Out of all the dysfunction and divorce and uh, separation and fights. And man, I, I was talking to somebody the other day telling me all the drama happening in their family. I'm like, oh God. We used to say we put the fun in dysfunction, right? Why did God save you out of all of your crazy family? Maybe because you were really good at irritating the rest of them. Because you can be the salt and the light that can eventually bring the healing. This is why your testimony is so important, church. This is why over the years that you've got to be consistent with your faith. Because one day, all of your prayers and all of the irritating testimonies that you give to your unbelieving loved one, one day they're going to remember, man, I wonder if he's right. I wonder if she's right. You'll get a phone call. You'll get a text message. What was that scripture that you told me about seven years ago? What was that sermon that you told me about six months ago? You know, I, I have seen in this last crazy year of, uh, of COVID and lockdowns and all of the things that we've gone through, I have noticed that there are many more people now that are open to spiritual things that weren't before. And we're looking at the world, you know, uh, just yesterday I was having a conversation with a pastor and he said, he told me when he was a new convert, that he would read those scriptures about the mark of the beast, you know, the end times mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell without it. And he said, as a new convert, I would read that scripture. I think there's no possible way people, I mean, it's right there in the Bible, mark of the beast, you cannot buy or sell without it. And he would think this is, I can't see how this could ever happen. He said, not anymore. Now I can see it. It's right here in front of our eyes. People who would willingly surrender their allegiance to a beast. So we must have wisdom. Even though it's irritating, penetrating. It brings purity. Let's close. We must also be filled with power. Courage is nothing more than fear that has said its prayers. Let me say that again. Courage is nothing more than fear that has said its prayers. If there is fear in you, you'll never stand alone. If Stephen had been afraid that day, instead of speaking, he would have been running. That's where many Christians are today. Instead of standing for what's right, we are running. We are keeping quiet. We are not standing for what's right. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6 As Paul speaks to his young disciple, he says, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power 
of God, the power of God. As we close, I want to remind you that the end of this story is probably not as encouraging as we would like it to be. You know, we wish, we, we love the good comeback story. Hollywood loves a good comeback story. You know, where at the last moment, the ball is thrown from the 50-yard line, the Hail Mary pass into the end zone. And at the last moment, he reaches his hand up and snags it, and yeah, they win the touchdown. Glorious, wonderful. We love the touchdown pass. Can I tell you, that, that's not exactly how it went down. Stephen did what was right. He stood up for truth. He preached the message that God gave him to preach. And then he died. And as he was dying, Acts 7 verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He was filled with the spirit of God. He was obedient to the will of God. He was filled with the wisdom and righteousness and power of God. He did everything he was supposed to do, and he died. He paid a price. I wonder this morning, are you willing to pay the price? Obedience, righteousness is expensive. You will pay a price. You might not get the job that you so desperately wanted. You might not get that promotion or that raise because you stand up for Jesus. You might not be with a certain person. There are times in my Christian life I've had to say goodbye to people, people that I love and cared about because their lives were on a different track. There are relationships that many of us that you've got to let go of, people that are not influencing you for righteousness. Are you willing to pay the price? You know, in the Greek language, something interesting, the word witness and the word martyr are exactly the same word. Stephen became the first martyr, but not because he was killed for his faith. He was a martyr because he was a witness. And let me tell you, God, God was okay. And so was Stephen with this final decision. Because you know why I know that? Because the last thing that Stephen saw was he gazed up into heaven and the Bible says that the heaven was open to him and he was able to see into the very throne room of God. He saw the Father and he saw Jesus. And the Bible says something very unique that is not found anywhere else in the Bible. It says that he found that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere else, if we see Jesus in heaven, we see him seated at the right hand of God. A, a position of authority in obedience. And yet in this moment, he gazes into heaven. He gets a window that nobody else can see. And there is the Father and there is Jesus who has stood up as if to say something important is happening right now. I'm with you, Stephen. I want to tell you that even though you may have to stand alone, you are not alone. Because Christ himself stood up to support Stephen in his moment of trial. He had faith for his future. He gazed into heaven and saw the right hand of God. Let me just remind you this morning that you and God is a majority. When you stand for God, that's all you need. That no matter how many people come against you, no matter how many demons in hell attack you, that you and God, you 
uh, empowered by his spirit, you have what you need. Jesus promised, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Stephen had faith in that promise. But finally, the last thing I want to mention as we close is what the, the scripture says in verse 58. Not only did Stephen had faith for his future in eternity, that he knew he was going on to a better place. He was going on to a reward in heaven. But he also knew that there was a reward on earth for his actions. Now, we might look at this situation and say, what a loser, Stephen, lost his life. Man, he could have lived another day to do something else for Jesus. If he would have treated this situation a little differently. If he would have handled the crowd with some kid gloves and been a little bit more nice to them. If he would have treated them with a little more respect, you know, and if he would have just spoken uh, a a little bit with less conviction. This is what preachers are doing today, right? Candy coat, everything. Treating us as if, you know, as if we can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. If he would have just softened his message a little bit, maybe he could have lived another day. But because he did, he didn't do that. He was killed that day. But not only did he have his future in eternity, I believe that he knew what was about to happen. Look at verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. Saul of Tarsus. The same Saul who a few chapters later is going to have a miracle conversion on the road to Damascus. The same Saul who becomes Paul the Apostle and who goes on to uh, to start churches all across Asia Minor, whose influence today in Scripture and in understanding still fills us with awe and incredible wisdom. And it was because of Stephen's stand. He refused to compromise. And when Saul saw that, even though he was still an unbeliever, even though at that moment he was still uh, dead set against the church, well, what did he see that day? He saw a man willing to give everything for the truth. And later on, when Saul had his turn to stand before kings, later on, when Saul had his turn to testify about Jesus, he did not shrink. He did not uh, abandon his post. He didn't go MIA. But Paul, he learned from the example of Stephen what it means to stand up for what's right and to proclaim what's true. And because of that, then Saul, who became Paul, went on to do it again and again and again. He left a legacy on the earth. What legacy will you leave? When people look at your life, yeah, he was a Christian squish. As you just went along with the flow, will your children see you fail when it comes to stand up for truth? What example will you leave to them? Or will you show your children and the disciples in this church, will you show them what it means to stand up even when you have to pay a price? Willing to stand even if it leads to a, a, a detrimental experience on my, be- on my behalf. I can't tell you how many jobs I've turned down I can't tell you how many, how, many, uh, how many customers that I could have served and made money on on a Saturday or a Sunday, but I didn't because 
I've got better things to do. I can't tell you how many relationships are you willing to stand alone if it's necessary. Let's bow our heads this morning. Close our eyes. If we would be... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,